help us to be brave enough to, to pray that prayer. That you would truly open the eyes of our heart. And that you would allow us, as Laney has asked, to take you out of whatever box that we've put you in and just let you be you and whatever that looks like. So give us the faith to do that. Give you thanks and praise, and we just ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. While we're waiting for everybody to uh, sort of come back from across the hall, I'll give you a Comcast update. <laughs> Hopefully it's a little bit better. Um, John had an interesting conversation with Comcast this week. This seems a little loud. This microphone, if we could turn it down a hair maybe. Um, so he calls Comcast to talk to them, has our account number, and they can't find our account with our account number. So finally, he, somebody comes on the phone who has the capability to find our account using our account number, which wouldn't really seem to be all that difficult on the surface, and then starts to look around a little bit and goes, oh, well, you were due for an upgrade and you never got it. We're like, well, you never told us we were supposed to have an upgrade. Well, I don't know, but somehow you all got missed. Then they tell us that actually it's going to cost us $20 less a month. So they did do the upgrade. Um, I think it has maybe proven to be a little faster. If, you've got, if you want to try to download the sermon notes on the app, you may want to give that a try. Um, we're going to kind of see how that goes and then if, um, if it's not any better, then they're going to come and swap out the equipment as the next step. So we're still pursuing. All right, Harry, come here. I want you all to meet somebody. <laughs> this is my little brother. Her brother in the faith. His name is Harry Gill. And... <clears throat> I would say, by and large, I would not be standing here today in front of you if it were not for this man and for the influence that he had on my life. And so if... Um, You're welcome. <laughs> there might be some people that want to talk to you about that, though. Uh, That'll be fine. Okay. Um, so anyway, it, it, you know, 
all that said that just to make the point that it is truly, I think, important that if you don't have someone who is a spiritual mentor in your life, that you find one. Um, because, uh, like I said, I have, uh, wouldn't be anywhere near where I am today if it weren't for this dear man and the love that he showed me and the patience and <laughs> willingness to teach and, and everything else. And, just as a side note, he also made the cross that's behind me. So... That is a product of his handiwork as well. So he has many talents. So if you get the chance, come up and say hi after the service is over. I've just got one thing to say. <laughs> Good. Sally, just one. I'm glad you got in his way. <laughs> well, all right. The Holy Spirit in you is what we're talking about today. So let me ask you a question. Are we all in agreement that the Christian life is a journey and not a destination? Yeah? Okay. Well, if you're not really sure what I mean by that, let me just explain briefly. Some people think that once they make their decision to become a follower of Jesus, uh, that they've reached their destination. And I actually knew a guy like this once a long time ago. Uh, they're going to heaven, all is well, and so now it's on to the next life event. Right, got that taken care of, future set, let's move on. Um, however, making the decision to follow Jesus is just the beginning of the Christian life, uh, or at least it ought to be. And once that decision is made, you know, it's from that point on that we attempt to walk out through the rest of our lives trying to imitate the model that God gave us in Jesus. So we're trying to imitate Jesus. Hence the idea that we are all on a journey. But as we travel along on this journey, the one thing that we, that's important that we don't do is to mistake motion for progress. See, a lot of folks in the church busy themselves with a lot of Christian activity, but never really mature in their faith. Motion, not progress. And as I read through the Gospels, one of the things that really stands out to me is the fact that there was no wasted effort in Jesus' life. Everything the Gospel writers tell us he did, we see it was done with a purpose in mind. How did he accomplish that? Well, I believe it was because of his reliance on the Holy Spirit. Jesus experienced the Holy Spirit in a very real way and he relied on the Spirit's love, on his infilling, on his empowering to accomplish more in three short years than anyone who has ever lived has accomplished in their lifetime. Now, the good news is that if you have said yes to his offer of salvation, then God looks upon you as his son or daughter, and he has given you the very same spirit that he's given Jesus. And just as Jesus did, believers in Jesus are meant to experience the Holy Spirit as they go through their daily life. Which brings me to the main idea for today, which is this. You are meant to experience the Holy Spirit as you go through your daily life. Okay? So last week I talked about the importance of knowing about the Holy Spirit. And it is important. 
But knowledge isn't the destination either. It's not enough to know about the Holy Spirit. To truly walk out your faith in the manner that Jesus did, you must experience the Holy Spirit like he did. So today we're going to look at how we can experience that Holy Spirit in our daily lives. Okay? So first of all, I would say this. That you experience the Holy Spirit in your daily life as the Spirit who loves you. All right, let's look at a uh, scripture from Matthew. This is Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. And it says this. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Now when Jesus came up out of the water from being baptized by John, he received this immediate affirmation from his family. He saw the Spirit of God and he heard his Father's voice signifying his approval. It was kind of like having your family come and cheer for you at your graduation. And this scene is something like a family reunion. All three members of the Trinity together manifesting their presence in such a way that the people who were all there could see and hear them. And it was also a testimony to the people who were there about exactly who Jesus was. It left no doubt that he was the Messiah. See, it's one of hundreds of exhibits in Matthew's Gospel talking about Jesus as Messiah. You have to keep in mind, Matthew wrote his gospel with a Jewish audience in mind. Okay? And many Jews believed that the Spirit was no longer available in their time. And then there were a few that believed that the Spirit just didn't work as forcefully in the lives of everyday people as he once had in the lives of the prophets. And so the fact that the Spirit comes on Jesus indicates that this is the inauguration of the Messianic era, and it marks Jesus as the Spirit-bearer, hence the Messiah. And it also reminds us, this scene that we see, of the emotional, relational side of God. And that's a side I think we often forget. Even God the Son enjoyed an attaboy from his dad. I like the way the New Living Translation phrases this. It says that God's feelings about Jesus were that he brought him great joy. Okay, a lot of translations use the word well-pleased, and that's scarcely strong enough to convey the actual meaning of what God was getting at here. Because the verb in the Greek conveys that God's pleasure with his son is constant. Okay? He has always taken pleasure in the Son. He was taking pleasure in the Son in that moment, and he always will. Now, what had Jesus done up to this point to merit such a response from the Father? Nothing. Nothing. That's the whole point. The Father loved Jesus just because. Not because of anything he did, not because of any status he achieved, or because he had reached some arbitrary level of achievement that the Father had in mind. Those are all conditions that earthly fathers sometimes place on their love for their children. 
God didn't do that with Jesus, and he doesn't do that with us either. Recall one of the verses that we looked at last week. It was Romans 5.5, the uh, second part of that, B. What did it say? For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So what did you do to merit this amazing gift from your Heavenly Father? Nothing. Same answer as before. God gives you the Holy Spirit simply because he loves you. And that is why you should never, 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 never compare God the Father to your earthly father, no matter how good your earthly father may have been, and especially if you did not have a good earthly father. God gave to everyone the Holy Spirit the very same gift that he gave his son. And he did so out of his great love for Jesus and out of his great love for you. So when we take a moment to reflect on what the Holy Spirit represents in your life, the amazing love of the Father, it's in that moment that we can experience the Holy Spirit very much the same way Jesus did. That's the first way. And as they say on the television ads for all the amazing kitchen tools that you can't live without, but wait, there's more. <laughs> you experience the Holy Spirit in your daily life as the Spirit who flows through you. And the scripture we're going to look at for this is from John's Gospel. It's chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. Oh, it'll be a little tiny. But I will read it. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. Okay, these, this set of verses here is a great example of why understanding the context of a verse is so vitally important when you read Scripture. Because when most people read this, they're just going to blow right past this, the idea that um, Jesus was at some festival. It's like, okay, well, he was at a festival. Fine. What did he say? You know, that's what we want to go for. But if we do that, and unless we dig around and we find out a little bit more about what was going on, you're going to miss the relevance of what Jesus said and why he said it. Now, the festival that this is referring to is the Feast of Tabernacles. And during this festival, the Jews celebrated the memory of how God protected their ancestors in their travels across the wilderness of the Promised Land, guiding them on their way, providing them with manna, and on one occasion, water from a rock. And so on the festival's first day, a priest would read Zechariah 14.8, which says, On that day, 
life-giving waters will flow out from Jerusalem. Then, every day for the next seven days, there was a solemn procession from the temple to the stream of Siloam. And that's the stream that flowed underneath the temple mountain. They would all go there, and a priest would fill a solid gold pitcher with water, and then everyone would process back to the temple. When they got there, the priest would take this golden pitcher of water and he would pour it out upon a rock. And this is what commemorated the water flowing out of the rock that gave the Israelites water to drink. And while the water flowed out, the people stood and they chanted a verse from Isaiah. It was Isaiah 12:3, With joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. So they performed this ceremony each day of the feast, except the eighth day, the last day. And it was on this last day that they typically offered public prayers for continued rain. Now, why do you suppose the Jews felt it was necessary to pray for rain on the last day of the feast? Well, it was very likely because it diverted their attention away from their yet unfulfilled need for living water. It's kind of as if on the eighth day, everyone just sort of shrugged their shoulders and like, well, let's settle for something so we don't have this life-giving rain, so maybe we'll get rain for the crops. But the promise still remained, and no one could really take a drink, and so consequently the people were thirsty. And here comes Jesus on the last and greatest day of the feast, when no water was poured out upon a rock, and he stands and in a loud voice he says, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And John tells us Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit. By promising to give the Holy Spirit to everyone who believed, Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. For that was something that only the Messiah could do. Now the Jews that were there that day probably had no idea what he was talking about. But we do because John tells us. You as followers of Jesus have rivers of living water flowing from your heart. But Jeff, you say, that may be so, but why don't I experience that? Fair question. But let me answer your question with one of my own. How much time do you give the Holy Spirit? When you pray about something, how long do you listen for the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit? Ten seconds? Thirty seconds? Maybe even a whole minute? And before you do, do you take time to quiet your mind and let go of all the stuff that's swirling around in there? And if you possess a prayer language, do you spend any time praying with it before you start listening? Have you ever thought about coming to the Friday night service that we're offering, which is primarily devoted to experiencing the Holy Spirit? 
See, we're meant to experience the Holy Spirit, but you've got to give him something to work with. It's like the story of a man who believes that God's told him that he's going to win the lottery. And so every night he faithfully watches the television to see if he's won. And after weeks of this going on and on, and his name is never called, he finally appeals to God and he says, God, you told me I was going to win the lottery. And I haven't. And God replies, work with me, buy a ticket. (laughs) If you want to experience the Holy Spirit, you've got to buy a ticket. The experience of the Holy Spirit is one that has to be cultivated. It's like a garden. And cultivation means time and energy and focus and persistence. Now, I could take this garden cultivation analogy and just run with this for a while. Is the garden being fed? Is the garden being watered? Is the garden being weeded? Simply put, spending time with the Holy Spirit is how you experience the Holy Spirit flowing through you. And like any skill, the more you practice it, the easier it becomes. But wait, there's more. (laughs) You experience the Holy Spirit in your daily life as the Spirit who empowers you. I'm going to look at Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you all know what an instant pot is? We got one of these. We got one of these a few weeks ago, and after some initial skepticism, I have to admit that I think it's pretty cool. Now, the Instant Pot is billed as a third-generation pressure cooker. It can also serve as a slow cooker, a rice cooker, a yogurt maker, a saute searing pan, steamer, and a warming pot, all in one convenient small electric appliance. Yes, I am getting a commission from Instant Pot. We... Yeah... And if you call now, (laughs) we cooked baby back ribs in ours, like, was it last week? Last week? And it took us maybe 45 minutes, 50 minutes, start to finish. And you can make a cheesecake in it, too. Okay. So, suppose someone were to give you one of these modern miracle cooking machines. What would you do? Well, first, you probably want to thank the person who gave it to you, right? You know, they may or they may not love you, but they certainly think a lot of you because this is not an inexpensive gift, you know, like 80 to on up, 130, 150 bucks, depending on what kind you get. And then next, well, you'd want to learn how to use it. So to do that, you could read the instruction manuals, or, like at my house, you could watch hours and hours of YouTube videos 
on how to make everything from hard-boiled eggs to baked potatoes to, to you name it. <laughs> then what would you do? Wait, you, you wait, you don't have to tell me. I know. I already know what you're going to do. You would take that bright, shiny Instant Pot out of the box and you'd put it on the kitchen counter in a place of prominence. And then you would take whatever you wanted to cook and you'd put it in that pot. And then you would sit back and wait for the deliciousness to happen. Does that sound about right? Or did we miss a step in there somewhere? Oh, wait a minute. You've got to plug it in. <laughs> to empower the Instant Pot, you've got to plug it in. Have you figured out where I'm going with this yet? Just as electricity powers the Instant Pot, the Holy Spirit is what powers us for life and for ministry. But what kind of power are we talking about here? Political power? That's what the disciples thought they were getting. How about vocal power so you can stand on a street corner and berate people into loving Jesus more? Or perhaps it's intellectual power so you can reason and argue people into the kingdom of God. That works well. Well, actually, the answer is D, none of the above. Because power in this verse is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get the English word dynamite. There's some serious power in dynamite. Dynamite has the power to change things quickly. Right? Put enough dynamite in the right spots, and you can make a multi-story building disappear like that. Forget to let go of the dynamite after you've lit it. You can make your arm disappear like that. You have within you right now the power to change the way somebody else looks at Jesus. You can yell about Jesus until you're hoarse. You can reason with someone about Jesus till the end of time. But nothing gets someone's attention faster than a display of power rooted in love. Those displays are all over the book of Acts. And I believe it's the primary way that God intended the gospel to be spread. Look at what Paul writes to the Thessalonians. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And he says the same thing in a couple of other places in a slightly different way. So it's 1 Corinthians 4.20. For the gospel, for the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom is not of talk, but of power. You see, you can try to live the Christian life without the dynamite of the Holy Spirit. And you can try bringing others to Jesus without the dynamite of the Holy Spirit. Just like you can try cooking something in an instant pot without plugging it in. Why would you do that when plugging it in gives you such superior results? 
Are you plugged in to God's greatest resource for living the life that he's given you? And if you're not, what's keeping you from doing so? When Kyle Eidelman started a new church in Los Angeles County, California, he found that he was overwhelmed with stressor, stressor, pressure and stress, pressure and stress. <laughs> stressor, yes, I like that. I've created a new word today. I'm under a lot of stressor these days. He was working more than 70 hours a week. His wife would ask him to take a day off and he would say, can't. He wasn't sleeping at night, and so he had started taking sleeping pills. When the church was about a year old, he woke up in the night, and he had this strange sense that God was laughing at him. And he lay in bed, and he wondered, why is God laughing at me? Well, it would take five years before he finally got an answer to that question. And here's how it happened. His family was moving into a new home, the one they currently have, and he had saved the heaviest piece of furniture for last, the desk from his office. And so as he's pulling the desk with all his might, his four-year-old son comes over and asks if he could help. So together, they start sliding the desk across the floor. The little guy's pushing and grunting, and, and Dad is pulling and grunting. And it's just kind of, you know, inching its way along. And a, a few minutes after this had been going on, his son stopped pushing, looked up at Kyle, and he says, Dad, you're in my way. <laughs> and so then he tried pushing the desk by himself. And, of course, it didn't go anywhere. And then Kyle realized that his son actually thought he was doing all the work. And he couldn't help but laugh. And the moment he started laughing at what his son had said, he recalled that middle-of-the-night incident and realized why God was laughing at him. He thought he was making this new church happen. He now realized it was ridiculous. That instead of plugging in to God's power and strength, he believed that it all depended on him. Is that how you are living your life? Believing that it all depends on you? Is God laughing at you? Not in a mean or vindictive way, but in that gentle, amusing way that parents laugh at the things their kids do and say. God has given you the Holy Spirit so that you may experience His love and His power flowing through you just as it did through Jesus. If I could have my prayer folks come up, please.
Now, next week, we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But if you'd rather not wait a week, there's people here that would pray for you today for that power to become fully activated in you. And all you need is the faith to get up out of your seat and come to see one of them. And if you don't have access to that power yet because you haven't decided to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I would just simply ask you to come up to me after the service. I'm going to sit there in the front row as we're going to worship a little bit more. And we can take care of that today too. So let's pray. Father, I can't help but think that sometimes we just must amuse you so. All of the pushing and pulling and straining and grunting that we do trying to control our lives and to live the things out without your help. And you sit and watch and say the same thing that Kyle did. They think they're doing it all by themselves. Father, I just ask that today would be the day that you can help us start to reject that thinking. That we would reject the idea that we're in control and turn to you and turn to the power that you have placed inside of us. And allow that to become fully present. So Father, I, I give you thanks and praise. Thank you for all these people that are with us today. That you would just bless them you would continue even after they leave here to impress upon them this main idea of today that they're meant to experience the Holy Spirit. Father, create a hunger, a thirst in them for that living water and let them not be satisfied until they have tasted it. Bless them as they leave this place today and, and go back into the world. I just pray that they would all in some measure be light in the darkness. Keep them safe and well until we have the chance to be together again. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
just going to stay and worship. Laney's going to play for a little while. Uh, if you want to get prayer, we have people available. If you want to sit and worship, you can just do that. And if you need to go, that's okay as well. Oh, my. 